Welcome to the Menstruality Podcast, where we share inspiring conversations about the power of menstrual cycle awareness and conscious menopause. This podcast is brought to you by Red School, where we're training the menstruality leaders of the future. I'm your host, Sophie Jane Hardy, and I'll be joined often by Red School's founders, Alexandra and Shani, as well as an inspiring group of pioneers, activists, changemakers, and creatives to explore how you can unashamedly claim the power of the menstrual cycle to activate your unique form of leadership for yourself, your community, and the world. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Our guest today, Shireen Oberg, draws from a unique and rich mix of influences in her women's empowerment work. She's the author of The Law of Positivism. She's a yoga teacher and acupuncturist. And alongside this, she also holds a business and economics degree and has recently completed a master's in global sexual and reproductive health and rights. She tells a story of how she comes from a long lineage of strong Kurdish matriarchs who were also political and social rights activists. And these women shared their natural birth stories and wisdoms with her, which inspired her to train both as a nurse and a doula. And today we explore how all of these different influences wove together in her recent thesis about how we need to change the way we approach infertility across the globe. I found this conversation very healing as someone who has undergone four years of fertility challenges and I encourage anyone interested in supporting themselves, their clients, their friends, their family through challenges like this to tune in today as well as anyone who's passionate about supporting women and people who bleed or or who are going through menopause through all of the initiations of the menstruality arc. It is such a goodie. So let's get started with the amazing Shireen. Shireen, it's such a joy to have you on the Menstruality Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really looking forward to this conversation. How are you feeling? Thank you so much for having me today. And I'm feeling very excited to be here. I'm I love the podcast and I love the work uh, that you all do. So I'm really excited to talk today and share also. Where are you at in your cycle at the moment? How's your journey with your cycle going? So I'm definitely in my mid cycle and uh, I'm feeling the energy of that. And I feel that it's been, I've had lighter days. Like I feel lighter in a way um uh, my my last uh, cycle I felt like in the end it was actually a lot of tension and and uh, anxiety uh, and that I know that that was a result from not uh, resting the cycle before and just going 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 so I feel like at, uh, in peace right now I feel like it's a um I'm also like more prepared for the the like the fall and and that that part much more this cycle so yeah I'm feeling light I'm really with you on the not resting unfortunately this I might I've got to whisper this because if Alexander and Shani hear me say it then I I might lose my job but I just didn't get to rest this menstrual cycle (laughs) I 
we have a house renovation going on, lots of things happening in our world. And um, I ended up doing two long motor, well, two long, fast motorway drives on my period, which is so not what I needed. And I can really feel the impact of it because I, my inner critic is totally alive and it's, I'm only on day five and I keep having to watch it and just, just be with it. Just hold the tension as we talk about so much at med school of, okay, this is the fallout of not resting. This is what psychologically I feel stretched. I have no patience. I keep feeling angry and like I have a fast temper and no resilience it's like okay there it is this is why we rest mm. so I'm just being kind to myself while my critic stomps all over my inner winter right now it's hard yeah definitely it does like bleed over I feel like I that what that happened to me too like I was feeling things that I usually don't feel in the beginning of the cycle So it's definitely a time for rest. And sometimes the body knows that because I got a cold last week and that really slowed me down, which might be why I feel a little bit lighter, less tense uh, than I was. So I I think that's a good point. Yeah. We just got to keep going perfectly imperfectly in this world that isn't really designed for cycling people, people that live cyclically. Yeah, we just have to keep going. But you, Shireen, are doing this amazing work have been studying and I mean your career from what I know of it has been so fascinating so far but the piece that we're really going to focus on today is that you have graduated from your master's in sexual and reproductive health and with a focus on women's health Mm. and you've published your thesis which has a special focus on infertility and the healthcare system and IVF and I'd love to hear what inspired this this path of study for you? So it's been a long journey, I think, from definitely from how I grew up in my teenage years, being in growing up in Sweden, having a, a Kurdish uh, background, also living in different cultures and what that means, and also like how. Um, I see it as a lifelong journey. Everything leads into the other things that manifest. It's like this weaving, right? Um, And I feel like for me personally, everything happened when I was living so not in tuned with my cycles and with myself. It, It was just going, going, going. And, um, it started very early for me in my, career I think I moved to Ireland to for my first like real job after graduation and everything and that was when I was 24 and I just which was with Google right after after a big course of business study yeah exactly and and that was just going and going going that was definitely like being in your young masculine energy uh, no breaks nothing just going and then that really affected my cycles I actually uh, throughout those two years when I was there I stopped having my bleed because I was so stressed and I had lost so much weight so that really 
took me into like, okay, what should I do? It was like a good experience in that way because I really needed to like stop and focus and the womb was talking to me. Uh, I had never paid Uh attention so much to it. Um, I would also say like, I didn't mention this, but from I was a teenager, I had really, really uh, bad cramps and heavy bleeding, which I know now also like that, that has an energetic healing aspect to it that that needed to be tended to um so that really started my journey so that was about 10 years ago um and um, the the research into what I should do to come into balance again that led me forward into the interest and then uh like my alongside with this the parallel uh, thing, like lineage that I was working with was the the spiritual one and that path and that also came to me in in this crisis so that was like a really tough descent I would say those years and uh, and the descent and the ascent it go- comes and goes it's like we flow through it throughout life it's not the first and the last but um so what happened was that when I was starting to work much more on a spiritual level, uh, I felt the first connection with the goddess and all that she uh, like had to guide me through and everything that that I could like connect to through her. Um, so yeah, I started to to really. Um, question like my choice in in of education of uh, career path of all of those things um and and something was always pulling me to healing because I was doing healing and I was really feeling like called to serve others in their healing as well so it came into the path of Reiki to all types of like just unlocking different pathways for healing for myself and others. And when I did that, I started also working more and more with women because that was what the goddess guided me into as well. It it felt natural. And also coming from a lineage of very strong matriarchs and and, um, activists, female activists, that triggered something in me, I think, as well. So leading up to studying acupuncture, wanting to become a midwife, but also like shifting from that because I saw how tough it would be for me to to work in a system that is not helpful for women. And then it led me into this program, which I did for the past year. I started last, last year and finished now this summer. So that's how the journey went. And it's more clear what I'm, what my purpose is in this moment. Mm, wow, it's so fascinating to hear all of the different threads that have brought you to where you are. And I think this is the same for so many people who experience menstrual symptoms, that it, there's a, a calling happening from inside us that, propels us onto our own calling in life not that I would ever ever want to gloss over the fact that the symptoms are really hard and it's a 
painful and challenging journey to, to work with them and heal them. But it's like there are there are nudges coming from within. So it's fascinating to hear how that unfolded for you. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your matriarchs in your family too. Yeah, definitely. So my roots are Kurdish. I grew up in Sweden, but uh, I'm Kurdish by ethnicity and uh, culture and language. Um, and um, so the Kurdish people are native to uh, some of the areas in the Middle East. So um, my family uh, are from the northern Iraq part. And uh, and there's a long lineage of be, being very like earth, earth connected people because living like close to the mountains or within the mountains and working with the, um, I grew up with a very natural holistic way of living, I think, because they hadn't been colored so much uh, from uh, it's, it, I mean, I'm the, I'm a first, uh, how do you say, first generation immigrant in Sweden still. I, I came to Sweden when I was one. So we had that like really, I grew up with really, being as natural as possible my my mom really was against uh, pills and and uh, things like that so it's because it's not in the culture it, it was more common to use maybe herbs plants food as medicine and uh, so unfortunately the Kurdish people have been and still are very oppressed in in the country those countries um it's become more autonomous in northern iraq but in uh, the rest of of the areas it's still very much colonialized um and what happened was that um from both of my lineages both grandmothers had to work very actively because i they came from uh, families who were very politically active against the regime and they had to also step up so if you've heard about the Kurdish women who really defended uh, the people uh, from terrorist attacks and things like that so I come from these lineages of women being very strong and being like in in that sense, very equal to their male partners being out there on the field and um, women's like secret movements uh, to to be able to share information. So really, the the foundation of the movement it's so important that merging. So with that, I feel like and and also like hearing stories and my grandmother had. 12 children on my mom's side uh hearing those birth stories and how like how natural like the natural way of living and and birthing and so I feel like um my my grandmother maternal grandmother still lives so she's taught me a lot I never met my paternal grandmother because she was actually imprisoned for her work that she did uh, for the Kurdish people and uh, she passed away when I was uh, like eight years old. But I feel like she's standing with me very strongly in everything that I do. Mm, thank you for bringing them into the conversation. It's beautiful to feel them with you and with us incredible women. Yeah. But let's talk about your thesis first. Let's talk about what's happening in our world right now for the hundreds of thousands millions of people experiencing 
infertility. So yeah, t- could you tell us about your your thesis and 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 your how it came about? Yeah. So when my journey started with the, this focus on women and even acupuncture, I studied to be able able to help women. That it's always been like a leading star. And um, what happened was that two years into the nursing program, which here in Sweden, we have a three-year nursing program, and then you do one and a half year of midwifery. And I had done the doula work as well and been in birth and I loved it. But then when I was at a maternity uh, center or like a birth center, I didn't feel connected to the career path of of becoming a midwife so I felt like I'm not going to just continue just to do it again because I've done things like like just done things because I think it's good and it looks good and no I felt like no I stop now and I can kind of let me know if this lands for you but I can feel your grandmothers in that because the system that midwives are working in now is you know it's it's beautiful in many ways you know Mm. many healthy babies are born there's many healthy mothers and there are massive constraints and huge pressures on the people on the birth workers yeah and I think you had a sense of perhaps coming from this you know background that you've come from from your grandmothers you just had a sense that that wasn't right for you no exactly like not being part of that is still patriarchal system because it, it still is unfortunately and it's I would say here in Sweden, at least it's uh, all of birth is midwifery led. So it's not doctors leading birth and everyone births with midwives. So that's that's at least a good good because I know it's different in 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 the world. So we have like that empowerment at least. But I just felt like there was something else. And this program that I found, which was also international. So I had uh, like classmates from all over the world, like. Uh, Western Africa, Bangladesh, uh, people uh, like Mexico, like different. So we got this also not just Eurocentric um, view of of how the world looks because it was a global program. It, um, It was really insightful because it's in the field of sexual and reproductive health and rights. And there's there's it's an umbrella term for many different things. If we look at it, it does focus a lot. If you think about uh, an organization like UNFPA, who works very much for this, and uh, also the focus tends to be on the contraceptives and like how to prevent. Um, but the infertility part is under this umbrella. It's just not that heard, uh, I would say, and it's in in society. It's not talked about, and in education it's not really talked like it's it's really like a hidden thing because maybe it looks like a luxury problem compared to uh, like a teenager getting pregnant and not being able to support or, or like maternal death which is horrible as well like there's so many things within this term um but i i chose to and my classmates did amazing jobs with like how to prevent uh, maternal death or stillbirths or like these are so important, so, so important. And uh, they have midwifery backgrounds, some of them that I worked with or nursing backgrounds. 
So that that whole aspect is super interesting. And I wanted to focus on the other side. So it's like the two sides, like the two sides of the goddess, how it manifests, because everything is the goddess, right? Everything is all of these experiences. So that side at which, yeah, I think both me and you feel like it's very connected to Ishtar and Inanna you know, because she is not the mother uh, archetype, but she's the queen of heaven and earth. And she does walk, does kind of walk this path of being her, in herself alone. Um, so my focus, I wanted to really, so there's different ways of doing research. And I felt like, if I would have only focused on women in Sweden that go through infertility and IVF, we have only one aspect because we are very privileged here to have like free IVF attempts, three of them. We have it more readily available. But what about countries we, who don't have it? And it's a big financial burden. So we, we have that discrepancy as well. And then I wanted to really focus on what is the support that is there? What is the, so it comes more from a nursing uh, and and support uh, aspect. Like what is, what is this in healthcare system? What does it mean? And what is society's doing uh, to, to um, support women? So the, the, the thesis was a, a metasynthesis which means that I took qualitative studies which are interview studies uh, of different kinds uh, from different parts of the world so I didn't have one specific uh, continent or country I I tried to look for different uh, ones from all over the world and the countries I'm trying to pull it up here there was 19 countries represented so in my study, I had 506 women in total, and that's qualitative study. It means it's not like a form that they fill in uh, or a survey. It's a qualitative. And uh, the countries that were included in the end, because I had to find the link between not just going through infertility, but also going through IVF. Uh, or other types of like more invasive treatments. And the countries that it came down to that I really found was aligned with the aim was the UK, China, Turkey, Sweden, Netherlands, Pakistan, South Korea, Iran, US, Israel, and South Africa. So it's it's not all countries, but it's kind of diverse. Mm -hmm. And we can't forget that we have about so women who are listening to this can probably relate to feeling like you're alone in your experience because it's not talked about so it feels like you are going through it alone and no one else is going through this but we have 48 million couples around the world who go through this 186 million individuals are affected worldwide according to to vh vho and um, yeah and it can have so many different factors and diagnosis, and it can be unexplained, which means there's no diagnosis because the Western um, medical system either don't have the diagnostic tools, are not looking into different factors that would be more holistic. What did you 
see, you know, in this global study, what did you see as the same for people across the world experiencing infertility? I, I would say that infertility, no matter where you are, is really, it can have some nuances, but most of it is the same. You know, in one, I did a beautiful um past life regression many years ago maybe also nine years ago or something like that and one of the things that I got from that uh, that life was that we all feel the same even if we look the same or if we appear to be different uh, if, if we don't look the same and we have different country settings and cultures the feelings are the same like we, we cannot I cannot know exactly what pain and grief feels for you but it's still explained in the same way so it feels like there's a link between all humans and we had a discussion actually uh, when when we're doing the opponentship and someone asked but how is it for women who are in a more uh, low income setting not accessing and also the stigma that is even higher but the personal experience is still the same because if if you're a mother in Sweden or in uh, Bangladesh if you lose a child you cannot say that the grief is more or less in anyone right we just experience differently and the support is different but the experience of grief is the same and that's one of the big things that I saw so from the analysis I did from these, and I'm talking about hundreds of articles gone through and boiled down into 19 studies that I focused on. You can say that the, the findings showed three big themes that came up, which was the same for, for I really like, also, you know, you have to show in a scientific way that this is these are themes throughout the countries. And one is the personal reproductive trauma. Mm. And the personal reproductive trauma in that is the loss and grief, which is felt by these people. The thing is that the, the, the grief, it, it is a human, uh, a human, like we can all feel grief hopefully like not hopefully but i if you have that ability you you know what grief means and it can show itself in different way but uh, all of the women experienced grief it's a loss it's a loss of um i love this quote it says the woman says it doesn't really go away this is like some someone died but nobody else knows it. Only you know it. So nobody else is mourning. And I feel like that was the most powerful thing, like the life grief that this, I mean, everyone can can feel what, what does it mean to, most of us will lose someone we love. So that that feeling that interpreted into this experience, the, the loss of something invisible. And you're you, it's hard for others to grieve with you because it's, intangible because it's not it's a dream that have been with you probably by uh, norms and socialization from you were a child maybe when you were playing with dolls and having this vision doesn't mean that all women have a vision to become mothers but if you have that vision for yourself and then 
it doesn't uh, come true in some way, then it is a, a loss. So the loss and grief was really important under the reproductive trauma. And also the questioning of your purpose and existence. Like, what is my purpose if I'm if this is not the next stage of my life? Like, what, what does it mean for my life and my future? And that is also like a grief component within it, right? I'm just nodding like a like one of like those nodding cats, because I'm just everything you're saying is exactly what I felt through it. I was lucky I had a circle of women at the time I was going through it and the howls of grief that came Mm -hmm. out of my body looking back and even then I could feel I know that women and people who have wanted children across time have howled like this Mm, exactly but in other areas of my life there was a lot of oh well I'm sure it'll happen one day or you can always adopt or, well, if you just re- if you just relax, just relax, go on holiday. My friend went on holiday and she got pregnant straight away. You know, all of this uh, superficial, people are trying to help. They're trying to bring something loving. But because we're not, we don't know how as a culture to be with the unexplainable and mm-hmm. to be with the irreconcilable. Mm-hmm. And if we could... It would be so much better for people who are experiencing infertility. If if you could say, oh, I'm, I've, I'm on my period and I'm in deep grief because I really, you know, I really want to have a child. And someone could say, wow, that must be so hard. I really hear you. Instead of all the other things they say, I mean, how beautiful would that be? Mm, so true. And there is these uh, microaggressions happening because it's it's like an unconscious microaggression, but uh, people asking questions not be, uh, from a bad place just of um, uh, like not knowing and I feel like society is getting better with that because it it is starting to become more like out there but maybe 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago it was not at all so thanks yeah. to like social media and more like awareness around it and just like the uh, menstruality and and the cycle track like all of this work that we're doing as well like that's becoming more talked about and we see the counter forces of that as well of course <sighs> yeah and also under the reproductive trauma comes the uncertainty and lack of control that that came through very uh hard and just regarding the microaggression you know sometimes it can also be in the field of um like you said like finding solutions and like have you tried this have you tried that have you tried this yes of course I have (laughs) yeah you know these women are trying everything it's not that they they have come to IVF after not tried anything it's like I was literally like standing on my head eating pineapple (laughs) massaging my womb getting acupuncture every (laughs) possible thing yeah exactly so it's like it's not always trying to find a solution. And I also really want to, one important thing that I didn't look at was women that go through secondary infertility and maybe IVF, because that's a different dimension. And in those cases, it can also be a microaggression can be, but you have one child, like, and you cannot say that to a woman because it's like saying, like one of your friend died and you say, but you have that friend. 
but you still lost this one, right? It's still a loss. Okay. So I feel like the, yeah, the sensitivity, it's really, it needs to be learned because it's very hard for people to, to understand how it, because they haven't walked in those shoes. But the yeah. lack of control, and of course, one of the big uh, personal, uh, the, the reproductive trauma is also the physical pain that treatments lead to. So there, it takes you from that emotional and mental pain into also the physical, because it can be physical pain. Of course, like you said, like you're in pain in your uh, menses, and that's like a tangible pain, right? And it's, it, it makes it even more tangible, the infertility, because you have that pain. But then also the treatments uh, that, that affect your hormones, it, you can become overstimulated. Uh, the, the surgery, when they like take out the eggs, all of that, that's also a dimension that maybe people can relate to more like, okay, you've gone through IVF, you're taking needles every day, you shots, you've had the needle in, in your vaginal uh, wall, like go through, like people maybe can relate to that a little bit more. But, but it's interesting, even with that, for me, I've never been able, it's very healing having this conversation with you, because I've never really been able to talk about the physical pain I endured going through IVF because there's very quickly, oh, but you've got RT now and everything's fine. Mm. And I, I feel even a bit breathless just even saying that out loud because, yes, I do have my son. I'm so blessed and so lucky and he's amazing. And it was a lot for my body to go through and because of the joy of it being successful, which of course I wouldn't ever take back. It's that's, that's still there inside me. You know, as I'm talking to you, I'm feeling for myself. Okay. I need mm. to tend to this somehow. Mm. Um, but it's true that the, there's emotional pain, there's physical pain and a lot of it goes unprocessed. Did you see that in your study? Yeah, of course. Uh, one study that I came by of many studies that I, uh, saw in my research when I was finding was also the impact it does have even if you have a child after the IVF like what is the what is impact on the on the pregnancy what is the impact after birth like all of this and definitely I would say that because of the insensitivity that you encounter in the healthcare system don't forget that uh, before getting the treatment women are also under uh, investigation. And that means also some physical pain because you're also in getting these checkups and be these invasive um, like instruments and flushing the, the, the tubes, like all of these, these add on. So they, it creates a trauma. Of course you have to, it doesn't mean that because you had a child that pain and that like invasiveness of any invasive um, procedure that we go through is a trauma to the body, right? Because we have these different layers of the body. In my book, The Law of Positivism, Live a Life of High Vibrations, Love and Gratitude, I really talk about the physical body as one layer of us that is important to work with healing. And then that feeds into the other layers and the other layers feed into to that. So it's like, 
you the physical body is important to tend to and see what emotional trauma also do we hold there um yes the medication like what happens after like what what is the what type of information are you getting about the the side effects of the uh, medication i come to that in the third theme actually because the medication and how you uh, how the, it affects you afterwards as well it's not just like you have the medication and it's like the pill it's something that changes your hormones and and the last point of the reproductive trauma is the loneliness and isolation and that that is the the sense that f- people are feeling like not understood that they cannot share different cultures have different perspectives on this of course like how open is your your surroundings for you to share this and what is this support so there's these five layers of the reproductive trauma that i saw and that is like a thread, a red thread throughout the different studies. Mm, wow, a red thread. I love that. Another aspect of this is that you are probably in a setting with other people where you're not like a, most women are not going through it all alone. The, the importance of, since I did um, focus on women who are partnered, because there are women who do it without partners as well. But this focus was on those with partners, how partnership support, how important that was. And uh, it has an impact on your relationships. It definitely impacts your sex life and your intimacy with your partner. But what's positive is that when you have a supportive partner, the relationship can grow stronger. So that's a really like beautiful things to see how couples really in these different cultures felt like they came. It was strenuous. It it did cause a lot of like fights and things like that, or just irritation. And it can be from having two different perspectives of the journey. But I also saw that there was, it was beautiful to see how couples could become stronger uh, when they go, went through it together. And then the last aspect of, of this, the, the third theme was the sense of being failed by the healthcare system and society. And that is due to lack of psychological support. It was so f- focused on the physical being. Uh, and that's throughout all of those countries and some are high income countries and there's still not support or any like holistic thinking. Um, not being fully informed what it is that's happening, what it, what the, like the diagnosis, the root, the cause, uh, not what I could see like people, women were really afraid of the side effects and how the, it impacts them long-term. But it was the sense of women not being fully informed because they are going in and out of the doctor's office in a very short time. And this is like life-changing things and the most important I want to say this very clearly it's it is besides the lack of psychological support it's actually the dehumanization and lack of compassion from healthcare professionals that these women expressed and that is very sad it's something that um like the humanity and I mean the work that we do for example the support on all levels it's not there it's not even there for women barely who give birth who 
have got given birth who are in so there's so many layers of a woman's cycle that that is happening and we can see it in like across like the different countries and the different settings so yeah that's that's what i saw and um it was a really insightful uh, like investigation that i did it really really it's surprising but not surprising <laughs> Menstrual cycle awareness was a massive resource for me going through infertility. It helped me to cultivate trust both in my body and also in life's greater seasons and cycles. And if you'd like a supportive framework for your infertility process or for any of life's initiatory experiences, I recommend getting a copy of Alexandra and Shani's book, Wild Power, which you can find at wildpowerbook.com. Com. So I edited this conversation with Shireen because I literally could have spoken to her for hours and I had to take out an earlier section about how Middle Eastern goddess mythology has influenced her understanding of the initiation of infertility, including her work and study with the goddess Ishtar or Inanna as she's often known and the story of her descent into the underworld. But we're gonna pick it up again now. So I wanted to set the scene with you before we begin. Let's get back into the conversation with Shireen. What fascinates me about you, Shireen? There was one thing you said in an interview with you that I was listening to this morning. You can see the connections between the challenges that women are facing now and the marginalization um, I think it's also important to name that there are non-binary people and people who don't identify as women and trans people who have even less access to these resources and, and are even more marginalized too when it comes to infertility but the connection between these people and what was happening in the ancient temples of Mesopotamia you know that what if this honouring and if this glorification of the goddess and the feminine and, and of woman had continued, would mm. we be seeing the impact that we're seeing today on so many levels of the lives of women and menstruators, but particularly when it comes to infertility? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like since the, the Mesopotamia was like a hub and and predated so much of for example the european culture and and it spread so much and when we look at the his the story the stories of ishtar uh, or inanna um we see that when the mythological story starts changing also society starts changing because you go from having this goddess that like worships herself and her vulva to going into like belittling her because she has different uh, consorts for example in in the stories and then that comes into the genesis story and and lilith for example who's also part of ishtar's story as the serpent and her like sovereignty that she wanted to claim and and demonifying her so it's like a it's like a lineage that that just something shifted and we have no idea how it was 
10,000 years ago. Like we can just see like from, these are very like old scriptures that's found in Mesopotamia. Um, but the role of women and uh, menstruators, like you say, and and how that is reflected in how the earth is being treated. And then it, 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 it like evolves into everything in society and where there's imbalance, this is the result. Look how, how the world has, has evolved. And um, it's not about one being more than the other. It's about coming back into balance. Um, so like you said, we as women, if you are in deep uh, grief or, or uh, pain, physical pain, like a menstruation pain, maybe all of us can relate to that feeling of feeling all the women's pain in one moment in our body. And that is the lineage because we're all connected. So when we have this imbalance and still the imbalance in the, the um, women doing unpaid work, because I did do an internship uh, in, uh, in UN Women as well. And that was really insightful to see like women's empowerment from that perspective as well, like from leadership perspective, from, uh, yeah, just like acknowledging that, for example, nurses and midwives, it's like, um, it, it is a it is a profession that is so important. I mean, Florence Nightingale <laughs> did show that with statistics, but how long ago? It was so long ago, but still in many countries, it's not in place. Um, so seeing that women are underpaid, women's jobs are underpaid, like we see this, the cause of this, uh, the effects of this uh, root that happened so many thousand years ago, it's it's blossomed out like this. So the importance for me to show with, with the work that I've done in the intellectual field is that we need to shift, like the system needs to shift. And I'm not the first one to say it, but I'm at least highlighting it again and uh, we have many women's causes, but this one is in particular for me important. And then for me personally, how I work with it, I do have a devotional practice. I've gone through a priestess year with the goddess and not in service only to myself, to all of humankind and womankind and um, to, to support women in the ways that I can uh, through channeling, through healing, through uh, lifting her up, then I feel like at least in this lifetime, I'm contributing to something. Uh, and hopefully we see a shift in these upcoming decades that, that we're in. But it takes time because if we had thousands of years of imbalance and we still see the imbalance, we see the imbalance of political leaders from like the women are underrepresented in in very important roles in society that's why this has not been prioritized we need to prioritize humans and we need to prioritize especially if you go into also how is the um, like the midwife midwifery care for women who are going to give birth who are giving birth post birth like that whole part this is a, the beginning of, of a human life is there anything more important like this earth would just be an earth if there wasn't humans on it and mother earth will 
stay alive, but it's not sure that we will stay alive. So uh, how can we take care of each other in on this planet? Mm. Wow, you've just named so many incredibly important themes and done such a great job of weaving together the the history and all of the impacts of the way our focus changed several thousand years ago from honoring and looking down to our bodies and the earth as sacred to looking up to a concept in the sky as sacred. Um, Not that there isn't much beauty in um, Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and all the religions that exist today, but there is uh, there was a cost and that cost is being seen in, in women's bodies. Just to, to, as we close the conversation, I'd love to hear how you understand infertility and the procedures that many of us go through, through an initiatory lens, like through the lens of the initiatory stories like the underworld journey of Ishtar. Mm. It's a good question because now I focused on what's like wrong with the system and the like negative experiences. As I said, everything is the goddess. So there's, we all have, everyone carries their own weight of something, right? And some things are just, like feels like very um, unfair or like what, you know, this is also an old thought, like, is this a punishment or is is this like a karma? What is this? But like, I see that all of these things that we go through as women in different ways, because we have so many stories of grief and loss, and there's so many ways that reproductive trauma can come up. Um, It is, like what I've seen an an invitation from the goddess even if you don't have a spiritual path or you don't identify that you have a (laughs) connection with a divine thing it still is something initiating you forward on your path nothing is a waste of time or experience because everything you can always like my my like rule my uh, like motto in life is that I really trust in in my path and what is ahead of me even when I can't see it clearly Uh, and that is a practice because sometimes you dip in and you forget okay what like I'm this little being and I'm like these things are happening to me and it's not fair of course we're human we feel like that but it's you know it's like in Vedanta when like the soul that has forgotten it's part of that light of something greater. So that's like the constant movement back into that oneness. And uh, for me personally, I am holding her hand as if she is my mother and she is walking me for, she's walking ahead of me and I can trust her. That's how I go through things in life. I am in full I trust her as a child trusts its mother. I I know that she will not take me somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. Uh, And when I am in that darkness, I'm back into her womb and she is enveloping me in her womb. And that's why 
embracing all of the emotions that come into life, everything that goes on in our cycles and being conscious of it. And doesn't mean that we fix have to fix everything or change things. Everything just is. So I feel like when you come into that and you come into a greater communion and devotion to something, to yourself, to your own womb, you connect with something deeper that can help you see the clear initiations that you've had in life, how important they are and how they are moving you forward. And you can always do something with it or just be in it. So you can, um, nothing is, is, uh, like, um, everything has a, a clear purpose. It's just that we cannot see everything right now. Mm. If we had more time I would love to debate that with you <laughs> because I feel like my journey of infertility I had that belief and it shifted through the journey mm. um, and it's possibly just where I'm at in my level of evolution but I I guess it opened me up to see in my my truth is that I'm inside a tapestry that I can never I can never understand because it's so nuanced and full and complex and and rich so I'm not sure I personally I'm not sure if there's a reason for everything that happens to me but I do know that I'm woven into just the arms of life Mm. and that there is life is always flowing and always changing but you know that we could go into that for a long time couldn't we (laughs) Yeah, it's such an interesting topic and comes into so much in different parts of life. So it's, uh, yeah, it can definitely be talked about for many hours. <laughs> That's part two. Part two. Yeah, exactly. we'll do a part two. And now, um, in closing, Shireen, I'd love to hear if you had one message for people who are going through infertility right now or are approaching IVF or have had several rounds and what would you say to someone who's in the middle of this initiation of infertility? Mm. I think one thing is that you're not alone and, um, and you have everything that you need within you to go through it because you are much stronger than you think and uh, everything will, every, all the pain and grief will one day transform into something new, a fuel or more love, more compassion. So just know that even when you are in that darkness, uh, is that there's always, you will always have an uh, ascension from that. Uh, just like Inanna Ishtar went down into the underworld, died, and that was the initiation for her to come back even stronger and more insightful and more wise uh, wiser than she's ever been seeing things more clearly so that's what I want to and also a lot of love and support for everyone who's uh, going through this and if anyone want to connect with me um, please do that I would love to hear your story and um, yeah just share how can people connect with you Shireen if they've if they've loved what you're saying and would like to learn more and be with you more yeah so I have mostly active on my Instagram love positivism and the same name for Facebook and my YouTube channel where I also have very many beautiful 
women coming and sharing and supporting and sharing their story. Um, and also my website, lovepositivism.com. I do offer uh, healings and other types of work that I've been doing for many, many years. Uh, so if you are going through something like this, um, you can definitely connect with me and, and I will see if I can support in any way. Thank you. This has been so fascinating and I deeply appreciate your capacity to be talking at multiple levels at the same time and your passion for this, for unearthing um, the, the pain and the challenge of infertility in such a fruitful and beautiful way. And I feel, I feel healed after this conversation. You know, I feel like you see me, you understand me, you get this whole crazy picture of infertility and I hope everyone listening has a taste of that as well thank you so much for your for your generosity thank you thank you so much thank you everyone thanks for joining us today thank you for being part of the community listening to this podcast the best way you can support us is by hopping on to leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts. That's what helps to bring more people to the podcast. So we would really, really appreciate that. Okay, I will see you next week. And until then, keep living life according to your own brilliant rhythm.